0: All right, this is episode 21 of the Between Two Pines podcast. This week, we have myself, Austin, and my lovely co-host, Zach. Uh, This week, we are actually going to have a special guest. We are, uh, we're going to be having an interview with Andrew Greenewalt. He's a waterfowl researcher up here in Wisconsin, and we're going to talk to him about some wood ducks and the research that he's doing. Um, It's really interesting stuff uh this week we'll also cover some news articles we're going to talk to andrew uh and then we'll close out with hot gear cold beer and zach's cooking corner uh first off though zach did you do anything fun and exciting in the outdoors this week
1: this week this week um not a whole heck of a lot um shooting my bow a lot like always i think starting this weekend i'm going to start uh glass and some open fields and stuff, starting to scout out some deer patterns. Um I'm inside of a month for our bow season here. So that's exciting. But no just uh just kinda cranking down on some some last minute bow shooting and oh I uh make no mistake too our bird our hummingbird feeder thing our hummingbird feeders in our backyard went from five to seven and we're just we're just a stop oh, oversight yeah. now you got, we got them all
0: how many do you think you see a day
1: I we probably got like eight that are normally back there plus a bunch that just come show up get chased off and all they do all day long <laughs> is just have a civil war between all of them and just fight and get like three <laughs> sips of juice and then fight and then just It's just a nonstop civil war between them. Post some
0: videos of them uh, of the altercations. You should name them. You want us to start taking bets? We'll start gambling on it. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Then I know you you uh, had some. Uh, The window feeders are pretty. Weekend you were up in Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, I went to Port Washington. Um, old buddy, old buddy Mike's bachelor party. Um, right by the lake. Lake Michigan but we didn't do much of that we just went golfing and yeah. just drank a bunch of beer so that was fun good uh, real real uh, easy flights too I had, drove to St. Louis and then it was a 48 minute flight to O'Hare and then a 26 <laughs> minute flight to Madison a
0: 26 minute flight it took you longer to board than it did to actually fly
1: Yeah, it was ridiculous. And then it was like 30 minutes back to O'Hare and then like 50 minutes back to St. Louis. Yeah, so it was, was nice. just it was um, real convenient.
0: Did you talk to any of the guys? Uh, and I don't know, maybe you talked to some guys at bars or something like that. Did you hear any word on the salmon uh, out of Port Washington?
1: Uh, No, I we didn't really talk to the anyone.
0: salmon run obviously is not quite started but sometimes you get the kings in there in like september so i don't know it's getting kind of close you might be seeing this, maybe the start of that but unlikely um yeah
1: the... yeah i've been wanting to get back up by like trip by tracy's hometown and they got huge runs up there too so
0: katie and i have a trip planned uh la- like the 26th of september we're going up to Door County and I'm planning, I mean, that should be right in the midst of uh, the salmon runs. So, um, yeah, it's going to be like start of Coho, end of King, something like that. Or maybe, I don't know, I guess it really depends on the weather. But, um, yeah, so I'm really hoping that I could get up and all in Door County, all those trips in there. I'm just going to be slamming those with, uh, yeah, slamming those for salmon. So that'll be pretty fun. But, yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, that whole area, because uh, Tracy is from Manitowoc, right? Yeah, yeah, that area too. Yep, yeah, two I'm rivers. Sure. That would be some good stuff. Yeah, I was talking to my dad. He used to do it all the time, and I, I haven't salmon fished, I don't know, since I was 17, 18, something like that. I mean, I went last year just in uh, on the Root River near Milwaukee, which was a disaster, but uh, still tried it. Um but yeah, so that's cool though. Anything else?
1: Uh, no, yeah. man. I'm just looking I'm forward to fall.
0: Um, yeah, for me, um, my brother came up this past weekend. Uh, we spent some time out on the river. Um, did a little bit of fishing, just some, you know, we were just throwing spinner baits for like muskies and pike, whatever. I uh, didn't really get anything. We were going out. We watched some. Uh, They're doing the drag boat races out on the out on the river. So we went out and watched all the drag boats. That was a lot of fun. Um, hung out, shot the bow a lot, which I've been having an issue, Zach. And I got to look this up. So you were with me when I bought those arrows from um, Plano Molding. Yeah, and I don't even know what brand. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Um, I got these arrows and my knocks keep flying off. All of them. These are like the knocks that they came with. And like the one I even like put a dollop, you know, just a little dibble dabble of, uh, of super glue in there. And they're, I'm yeeting them 5,000 yards into, you know, who knows where. Yeah. You got any recommendations for that? Really? I just like coat them in super glue? Like I was afraid to put too much. I didn't want to throw the weight of the arrow off, but I guess it's probably um, negligible.
1: Not really. You're not really supposed to super glue them cuz like I I can twist mine none of mine are super glued I would maybe buy a new pack of Nox before you I mean you could super glue them if you're if they're just always flying off but I would maybe buy a new box yeah. of Nox first Yeah I
0: don't know yeah it's, it's very strange cuz none of my other arrows do it it's just these 3 that I you know that I got from Plano molding I was like what the heck is going on with these all 3 of them I've lost the knocks on them. Yeah, that's and why there that's were twelve. Why, bucks. Maybe that's why you yeah, got them exactly. at Plano. Exactly. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And, and you know, what, you know what the funny. I don't
1: know. Thing? Maybe a.
0: Well, you new know what box the funny of Nox thing is. Might I bet help. you Plano did make the Knox, because that's the only plastic on the arrow. They're carbon fiber arrows. Or, um, Are they carbon really fiber, carbon fiber? Graphite. Or fiberglass? Oh um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the yeah. only. Pl-
1: I mean, you could just buy, like, good knocks too, like Illuminox or something. And I don't know if they have, like, a rubber O-ring on them, yeah, but maybe the try scene. that, maybe too. Yeah, I'll just
0: get a good set of knocks. And, I mean, if I got a Super Gloom in there, I got a Super Gloom in there. But, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was very strange. Um, but, yeah, so I got out fishing, been shooting the bow a lot. Uh, the girlfriend and I, actually, just today, we just got off the river. We just were kind of cruising around, hung out on a sandbar. Um but yeah, I smoked some salmon this week. I got some uh, salmon from the farmers market last week. I did trout. This week, I did salmon. Came out really good. I just had some smoked salmon and rice a couple times for dinner this week. Did that. Um, yeah, and then I, I... Oh, does
1: ahead. the set? Sa- does the fish? Does the fish stay in the smoker the a little bit? Mouth, Do you notice? Like, just
0: the the fish, like the fishiness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think before I do any meat again, like, before I do beef jerky, I'm going to just clean out the inside, and then uh, I might even just run it, you know, with nothing in there, just a bunch of water, and let it kind of steam itself off, but, um, yeah, yeah. did you ever get your smoker fixed?
1: No, it's burnt buttery <laughs> toast.
0: Um
1: i don't know it's like the the motherboard in it or something it's just glitching out on my screen deal so unless something changed and it fixed itself while sitting in my shed it's toast
0: yeah that sucks but yeah so yeah i've been doing that and then uh like you said i'm actually um this which i can't believe like early season goose is like in two weeks or bow season starts in like two weeks or eh, about a month for us um yeah, all this stuff is coming up quick, and I was actually thinking uh, this weekend I might run over to Walmart and get myself a cheap um, trail cam, like a $30 trail cam, and go put that up on some land that I'm looking to hunt. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have any trail cams out, so I figured like, ah, eh, you know, maybe I should start putting those out.
1: Tasco is the brand at Walmart, and it's like twenty eight eighty eight 88 or something, and they take decently good pictures and they uh it won't last you you know three five but i mean it'll last you two solid years probably
0: yeah and that's uh, i mean that's all i need i mean i don't need like uh yeah tasco that's what yep you're absolutely right yeah i don't need anything like uh um, you know i don't need to be having the greatest thing i just want some. i just need to know if there's deer going through where i'm planning on hunting you know it's all i really need to know because i mean i'm not i'm not looking to I just want to harvest something this year. I really don't care, you know, the size of it. I just want to be able to harvest something this fall. So it's kind of like that.
1: My biggest thing with those cheap ones is if I'm putting cheap ones on public land because if it gets stolen, you know, it gets stolen. That's it's ex- nothing. To, I'm not out 120 That's exactly
0: bucks. what I'm thinking with this. Like, I'm going to go put it out and that's where it's going. It's going to be out on public land. Um, and uh, I, I'm probably going to chain it up. I mean, do you do you chain yours up?
1: Yeah, sometimes I get those Master Lock uh, yeah, snake coil yeah, I, yeah, things.
0: I could, uh, I could definitely get my hands on one of those. So, yeah. And then uh, my brother uh, just bought me a uh, for my birthday, which it apparently took him a while to get in, but uh, ordered me a harness too. So I'm pretty gonna get that. I'm pretty excited about that as well. So I don't die when I fall asleep in the tree stand
1: so yeah but
0: yeah just hanging out getting stuff done getting ready for uh for duck season um yeah it'll that's all i'm that's all i'm looking to do so all right but we could get right into it here uh did you have anything you wanted to add zach uh
1: no let's get some news i
0: got my news oh i got the news pulled up it's making noise shut up i don't need to know about this okay sorry sorry listeners um Yeah. So this week in the news, this is an interesting one, Zach. So I didn't even really think about this and, you know, we've kind of beaten it into the ground, but, uh, speaking about COVID, COVID is really going to reduce travel for hunting. One states have different laws now where you, if you're from one state, you can't go to another. Some states aren't letting people in, yada, yada, this, that, and the other. But, uh, apparently, which I didn't realize this, um, you're not going to be allowed to go into Canada. So for goose hunting, for duck hunting, a lot of guys go up to, uh, to Canada. Uh, so they say in 2018, there were 17,000, uh, licensed waterfowlers in Saskatchewan and 54% were non-residents. So 54% were American. Uh, now all of those duck hunters can't go to Canada. Um, so they're saying it could be shoulder to shoulder hunting in North Dakota, and the game wardens and everyone else is trying to prepare for this and the guide services. So I'm um, I'm pretty curious to see how this, uh, how this plays out. What do you think, Zach?
1: Yeah, I can see it as a pos- big possibility. Um, there's a lot of wide open ground in North Dakota. Hopefully my trip there this year doesn't get too congested, but uh, we're in a town of about 58 people, so I don't think we'll run into too many folks that are – non-resident but we'll see it'd be interesting if we uh if we have to start competing with people because we've literally never had to do that for like every single day of every year I've gone yeah. up there.
0: Yeah, I don't know, I'm curious to see how that plays out. It'll be interesting and something I had kind of forgotten about. And I wonder just with with COVID and I know we had talked about this which it seems like a year ago, but it was when COVID first happened and we kind of talked about, you know, briefly how we think it'll affect wildlife, you know, people not really going outside, whatever. I'm curious to see how many people it's going to affect for hunting spots. You know, people that don't want to leave their county now, don't want to leave their state, maybe can't leave their state. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting play out, uh, you know, especially like in Wisconsin, where you get a lot of Illinois hunters coming up. Like, I wonder if it's going to go up or down or I, I don't know.
1: yeah and like they said earlier in the spring like turkey resident turkey tags were at an all-time high in a lot of states and harvest rates were at an all-time high and there's more people buying fishing licenses this last year than there has been in years and years and years past so you know it's uh it's good that people are getting out but we'll see if there's any any long-term effects which i don't think there really is any any downside to it but uh you know, besides a little bit more competition, but we'll see.
0: Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, Yeah, for the next article here, um, got a story of a guy who won a fishing tournament. Doesn't sound like much, but uh, apparently uh, this gentleman, uh, what is his name? Dave Frenier. Um, So he entered in the Seward Silver Salmon uh, Derby, up there in anchorage alaska and he won a ten thousand dollar prize by catching a 13 pound salmon so the previous smallest winner of all time was in 1958 and it was 15 pounds so he's a pound and a half lighter than the previous smallest record you know smallest fish to win the tournament um but he said that uh, the reason that he won is because there was almost no one that showed up. So they saw a de- decrease in numbers this year across the board, participants, overall number of fish in weight. We weighed, and this is a quote from the article, we weighed about a third of the fish we did last year. Sorensen said the virus definitely played a role that's evident in lower participation numbers, which was coupled with a slow start for silver salmon. We heard from the captains that they were tough to come by during the derby this year. So yeah, this dude won with a dink. And he won 10 grand. <laughs> Pretty sweet.
1: Lucky yeah, is lucky yeah, day. Yeah, I know.
0: It goes back to this COVID thing, which um, I know here, um, you know, the, the fishing team that I'm involved with, um, that I supervise, I should say, uh, those guys are going to a tournament this weekend, actually. And they're fishing a tournament. It's a college tournament. uh they're fishing this tournament. Almost every other college has been banned from fishing and we're fortunate enough that it's within our state so we could go to it and they're taking all the COVID measures. But yeah, there's going to be like almost no one at this tournament. And I, and I told them, I was like, if you don't win, I'm going to beat all of you Uh, because uh, you know, the the top prize is 1500 bucks for the team. And then it's like 500 for each place thereafter. So you know if there's only 10 teams and we got four four different boats going they they better place but we'll see so yeah curious how this plays out for uh maybe covid will have the added um the added benefit of uh easier fishing for for tournaments
1: yeah maybe
0: um yeah and that's all I got for that one um for our last article here uh, and once again, all of this is pandemic related because that's the only thing in the news. Um, yeah, so pretty much uh, the bear data from a lot of the national parks, especially in the Yellowstone region, uh, is up. So encounters with grizzly bears is up. And I don't know if anyone has ever seen the grizzly bears out there in that region. They are big boys out there. Those are no joke grizzly bears. Those are They got some size to them up there. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Maybe it's just because they haven't been, uh, haven't been so accustomed to people for so long. Now they're just going up and attacking people left and right. I don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it really seems like, uh, hunting seasons need to be more and more of a topic of conversation because there's all these encounters are just going to lead to, uh, A lot more conflicts. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I I wonder, I mean, do you think that this could be due to the pandemic, that they're having more incidences? Or do you think it's just, yeah, I don't know what else it could be. Just there's more bears? I I don't know.
1: Yeah, it could just be that there's more and more bears out on the landscape. um, Or that they haven't seen people in a while. So then they kind of get curious when they see them again. Or, I don't know. Or used to them. Or whatever i don't know it's interesting yeah i'm
0: curious to see uh you know if this continues on you know if the pandemic or the you know the stay-at-home orders continue and they keep national parks more you know closed which oh did you hear this so my girlfriend was just out in colorado did you know that you have to schedule times to enter national parks now
1: well that's so if you want to go
0: to a national park you have to buy like your day pass you have to go online and buy a time slot to be at the park
1: that's un American.
0: I agree. But yeah, I could not believe it when she told me that. She went to Rocky Mountain National Park and she had to get like a time slot, and they won't let you into the park unless it's like within your time slot. Yeah, it's whack. It's totally whack.
1: I don't like that. That seems, uh... yeah, I don't like yeah, that one. No we need to just get this over with yeah. already. <laughs>
0: um yeah, no I'm I'm definitely with you. Um and then oh there was one more thing that I wanted to add in the news and I'm going to add this again in the news article uh and not or in not in the, I'm going to add this again at the end of the podcast. Um and so long as we're in the news, I just wanted to throw it out there once again before we uh before we get to this interview right now. Um write your um you know, write a letter to your representatives, uh, look into the uh, Pebble Mine and uh, and find out more information. I mean, obviously make a decision uh, for yourself, but uh, the Pebble Mine is a project that's gonna be up in Alaska and it has potential to ruin a lot of the fisheries up there. Uh, I mean, do do your own research, but definitely look into it, formulate your own opinion. And uh, if you feel so inclined, I would say, uh, you know, write a letter to your, your representatives, your federal representatives, and let them know how you feel about it. So, yeah, but do your own research. I'm not going to say one way or the other, um, you know, do your own research and, uh, yeah, and let people know.
1: And if you really uh, want to just take the lazier out too, that, I think, backcountry hunters and anglers should have a stock email that you just sign your name on at the very end of it kind of um just taking their stance on it but then you can sign your name to it as well and email it to your representatives they should have something like that
0: yeah yeah, absolutely and like
1: that's that's what i've done on some of them and i mean it's better than nothing
0: yeah and um you know, I don't like to to tell anyone uh, which way to think, but, you know, definitely look into it, do your research, read the news, look into, you know, what you need to look into. And uh, if you feel so inclined, definitely uh, voice your opinion on that. Um, yeah. And that's all I got. I think uh, Zach probably right here, we're going to cut right into our interview with Andrew. We'll talk to Andrew and uh, hopefully uh, we could, uh, have some good discussion about some waterfall coming up here so we'll cut right into that right now this week for our interview we have andrew greenwalt who is a graduate researcher at uwsp who is specializing in waterfall um yeah so andrew how are you man
2: I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, I'm living the dream.
0: Yeah, yeah, can't ask for anything better. Um so I guess my first question for you and, and I kind of like to lead in all of our guests for this what what is it exactly that you're doing? If you kind of want to give your your job title, which I know being a graduate student is kind of a, a you know weird to have a, a job title, but uh yeah, if you want to kind of give us your title, what you uh you know, what the nature of your research is, what you've been working on, kind of give us the rundown.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I came here as a assistant, uh, a graduate assistant um, under uh, the fellowship of Dr. Ben Senger, who's the Kennedy Groney Chair um, for Waterfall at UWSP. Um, he brought me in um, as just just a common guy, knowing what I'm supposed to be doing for, for what he wants to be done. And uh, so what what we're focusing on is um, looking at so the big picture is we're trying to look at breeding breeding propensity which is which is the number of times a wood duck can can uh nest in a in a single breeding season um and how we are going to do that stuff uh, breeding prote- breeding propensity uh, nest success um re-nesting propensity we're going to look at um we're also going to look at um winter migration chronology and um I'm looking at, um, 59 years of band recovery data. Um, so birds that are banded in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota and, and, and recovered in elsewhere. Um, and with that, with that data, we can, we can look at harvest and survival within the last 59 years. And we can use these covariates, um, like bag limits and hunting season dates, start dates and end dates and, and see if these are, Driving the variation within this region. Um, so what we're what we're doing is we're using these light level data loggers called geolocators, and we're attaching them to tarsus uh, colored tarsus bands that have unique IDs on them. And uh, and what this does is it it, it records light level. Um, and what that can do is giving us give us lat- latitudinal latitudinal and longitudinal data. Um, and we can then um look at where these birds are coming and going where where they've been banded where they're going to go for for the winter um we can look at molt areas we can we can look at uh, migration corridors um and just get a bunch of information on these birds that uh haven't been really looked at in the last 30 years
0: so wow yeah that dude, so you guys got a lot of a lot of stuff going on So is this, uh, for your research, is this one of those things, is this, and I know you said you're doing like the 59 year study. So was there a gap in that 59 years, at least in regard to like wood ducks, or is this uh, been sequential data throughout that 59 years?
2: So it's it's sequential data through the 59 years. So um, the states of Michigan and Minnesota and Wisconsin have been banding uh, wood ducks every year. And so um, uh, every year since since yeah, the early '60s is when the like data got real good. Um, before then, um, wood ducks in the in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, were on the cusp of of extinction or a- extirpation. Um, and so, a lot of a lot of these programs, these state programs, started ma- doing uh, like nest box houses for for ducks um, for breeding ducks, wood ducks in general, um, market hunting had a huge impact on water or on wood ducks in general. Um, cause you know, wood ducks have that beautiful plumage, mm-hmm. um, during the breeding season. And so a lot of market hunters were after that. Um, and so yeah, years and years, um, of, of habitat degre- degradation, um, Um, logging had huge impacts on on wood ducks wood duck uh breeding um because they're natural cavity nesters so um wood ducks lost habitat um and so yeah in early 1900s they were they were on the verge of extinction but uh with a lot of uh conservation and and stuff like that we we got we brought them back and it was it was pretty awesome
0: yeah that that is great and that's um you know, there's another question I had, and I know you're out there, you're, you're obviously, uh, you know, you're on the beat for lack of a better term. Um, what are you seeing? And maybe for those that aren't, uh, you know, avid duck hunters and want to see a wood duck, what's like, uh, what's their typical habitat look like?
2: Yeah. So these birds, these, these birds are kind of a, a secluded species. Um, they like, you can find them in beaver ponds, uh, river corridors, um, Small small ag ponds. Um, there's 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 practically anywhere within Wisconsin you can probably see a wood duck, um, even though they're secluded. So they kind of they kind of hide away during breeding season. They they raise their young for about thirty days, and then they try to go and re nest and have another brood um, within the same time within the same summer breeding period um it's one of the only ducks that kind of do that which is really cool um but yeah uh if you're if you're a birder and you go out to mead, you're most likely going to see a wood duck where and wherever you go yeah
0: yeah for sure yeah it seems like they're kind of a dime a dozen out there and with with your research and like in regard to the habitats i'm sure if you live in with basically if you live anywhere in the midwest you see them all around is those wood duck boxes um how like, are you seeing when they nest and I don't know enough about wood duck ecology in particular, but, uh, so is that just, do they nest above ground? Is that like they're, you know, above the waterline? Is that what their go-to thing is, is like in a tree or something? Yeah,
2: absolutely. There's, there's actually been studies, uh, been done in Illinois that they can go up to a mile into the woods finding, um, preferred breeding habitat. So, um, mead has a lot of Aspen stands and, and, uh, the, the fellow grad student before me, Callie Rush, she, uh, she did a lot of, the, a lot of that kind of work and tried to find natural cavities in these big Aspen stands, um, on the mead. And so she, she had some pretty good luck trying to do that. Um, so yeah, they're, they're all natural cavity nesters. So they're trying to find a tree with a, with a decent sized hole in it to, to breed in, um, and they'll they'll be in there for twenty eight to thirty days. Uh they have a clutch size of anywhere between ten to twelve eggs and they will lay an egg about every day. Um
0: and what's the so that's
2: about twelve what's the mortality? go for it.
0: What's the mortality rate on a clutch look like?
2: Um duckling survival anywhere between um within the first two weeks, you get 80%, 80% mortality happens within the first two weeks of, of a duckling's life. Um, but from, from a duckling to a flighted bird um, is anywhere between um, 20 to 25% um, survival. And then once, once about that two week span comes up, it, it shoots way up and uh, they do pretty good.
0: Okay. So like out of a normal, like if you had a, and I guess is it a brood or a clutch? I don't know which one's which, but, um, so uh, is is it a brood? It's a clutch or a brood.
2: So a clutch, a clutch, a clutch is a clutch of eggs. So you're saying she, she has eggs. Um, and then a brood is, is her, her ducklings. Okay.
0: So if, if the clutch makes it to become a brood of ducklings, Um, so if they have like, uh, you know, let's just say that they have a dozen, like you said, the expected would probably be between like six and eight of the dozen survive.
2: I'm going to say, I'm going to say anywhere between probably, uh, two to five.
0: Oh, really? Um, Okay. So then that's up to a year, like to be, to reproductive maturity, two to five of every. uh,
2: Yes. So Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that's called recruitment. So a hen raises her brood and then those birds who are females come back next year. It's called recruitment. So I'd say if she had 12, 12 eggs that completely hatch, um, some of these eggs can be just duds, not fertile. Yeah. Um, and so if she says she lays 12, you're, you're probably going to see anywhere between uh, 50-50 with male-female ratio usually. Um, and you'll probably see like, 2 to 3 birds come back if if they're females. Hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then.
1: that it, to put into perspective with the whole duck population it's if the if ducks make it at a it's like 32% of ducks born every year make it the population stays the same. So it's already the ducklings already have such a giant like target on their head that it's, it's America exactly. we even have ducks at this point. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and and just just like you said, Zach. Yeah, like thirty-two percent of ducklings make it until adulthood and come back, and that's just sustaining populations. So, um, and and then I, the duck production states are are your prairie pothole region, and and they produce so many, and, and and that that central flyway, central Mississippi flyway, is uh, is very. Uh, important because because of these these huge duck uh, duck breeding areas
1: but then uh and you is it so is it i guess the question i have is you never really see whenever like du comes out with their numbers at the beginning of the year or anything like that you never really see wood ducks is that just because they're nesting north to south. I mean, is there is there more wood ducks nesting overall because they're spread out, or is it just hard to get a population, or or what's the whole deal behind, um, you know,
2: why you're not getting wood duck numbers? That's a good question. I can answer that. So, um, a lot of these a lot of these states and fe- the federal government do uh, breeding population surveys. And so a lot of these, because because wood ducks are more of a forest, forested wetland bird, there's there's no real way to get good counts because all these birds are uh, in these forested wetlands, so you can't really count them that way.
0: Well, well, I know Minnesota. Well, you can't count them the way that they do, because we actually did a whole podcast uh, analyzing the what was it the 2019 Zach or was it the 2020? Well, it was in 2020, but it was the 2019. Um, uh, migratory bird survey. Um, and yeah, cause, cause they do that with, via plane for the most part. And so obviously that'll make no yeah. sense for the, uh, the wood ducks if they're in forested region. So you probably could get numbers, just not the way that they do the survey normally.
2: And, and that, and that, and that stuff can be biased too, because you're not getting a, an adequate sample of, 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 of wood ducks because you can't see them
0: yeah, exactly.
2: v, v via, via an airplane. Um, and I know, I don't know. I think I think Michigan or Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota do try to fly for wood ducks, um, but anywhere else in the in the nation does does not do that. Well, what would you do? right? And
1: that's another reason it could be biased too, because like they nest they nest out in Louisiana in the swamps even too in the beginning of the year and stuff. So different st- all the states would have to then compile all their data too. So that makes a lot of I- sense.
2: Exactly.
0: Hmm. So would there be, I mean, uh, Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: Oh, go for it. Sorry. No, no, you're good. Um,
0: So would there be, what would be an alternative way to get these numbers? Is something like your research going to be able to provide us with a better insight into the numbers of, uh, you know, wood or the population on wood ducks?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, there, there are these things called Lincoln estimates that you can, you can get a, a a broad-faced number of abundance um so what you what you usually do with this is you uh you band a bunch of birds every year and then you um and then you times it by the number that are recovered so you get a bunch of birds you band and then you have hunter harvest um so this is all citizen science based type of type of science that we can get these abundance numbers which is which is why you fill
0: out your hip surveys fill out your hip surveys
2: dang it exactly Um, and report report your your damn bands (laughs) and report your damn bands (laughs) exactly there's a toll-free number you can go to usgs bird banding lab and report it there um but yeah, so so there's these things called Lincoln estimates, and you can get uh, abundance estimates using these Lincoln estimates. And what they are is, you you band a bunch of birds, you get a bunch of returns um, harvested birds that are reported, and you can take the uh, the, the bands that reported by the no, but you can times it by the number of bands that were put out, and you can get kind of a, a rough estimate of abundance within this within these states um there's a paper that came out um a couple weeks back um by a couple guys in ohio and they used lincoln estimates and harvest and survival to get this abundance um the abundance of wood ducks in in uh in ohio so that was pretty cool
0: well, that's good yeah so yeah that'll be cool if uh you know your your research or hopefully somebody we could get some uh good estimates on the numbers in uh in wisconsin aside from the uh the hip surveys and everything and actually on reporting the bands. And before I forget, and I have this written down um, with your research, you're obviously putting on the uh, GPS trackers on, on, you know, banded to the ducks. If I were to shoot one of those ducks, do I get to keep the, do I get to keep the band?
2: You do. You do get to keep the band. You get to keep the geolocator as well. But we just want to meet up with you and download the data.
0: Oh, okay. So you actually Um, have to like or do you have them ship it back? Like what if you, you know. uh,
2: So so there's there's actually a a number on the band that we would we would really like you to call. We can we can start uh, communicating with you. We can either if you're close and in Wisconsin, we could run to you. And download that data where you can keep the band and the geolocator and we get our we get our end of our our science um and yeah and if 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 birds are shot in uh, say arkansas louisiana um we'd like for them to call us send us the geolocator so we can download the data and we'd send it right back
0: oh yeah so so if you do want if you if you you know harvest a nice woody that's got one on there you know you could actually have a nice mount with the with the uh gps tracker on there
2: exactly yep
0: yeah or you could toss it on your lanyard and then you'll know where they are forever no i'm just kidding i shouldn't say that
2: (laughs) (laughs) the government the government will just
1: follow you around
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, that uh, is always a funny one
0: that i hear is like i don't want the government to know about my bands i'm like (laughs) really
2: they're always watching yeah
0: yeah clearly Yeah. yeah they that's what the the fish and wildlife service and a, a graduate researcher really wants to know what you're doing really really badly um
2: we, we care we care more about the ducks than we do <laughs> those people yeah, but... yeah, exactly
0: exactly care more about the ducks ever than you would ever care about what homeboy's doing uh on a on a tuesday night um yeah so we've gone over the habitats anything like that um so if, if i was uh like say i own some property you know maybe i own some acres and i have some forested wetland what would be something that I could do to attract wood ducks to my, my plot? You know, if I, if I was trying to manage my property to attract wood ducks, what would be some things that I could do to best manage my property?
2: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I would say they really like acorns. So I'd get some oaks in there. Um, preferably, probably type of red oak species, um, pin oak, red oak, um, they really like a- egg corns. they um prefer egg corns actually for foraging. Um you could you could put in wild rice. Wild rice is pretty good. They they like uh eating on that stuff. Um they and, and, and I would say try to make it kind of secluded. They like these little uh forested potholes um where there's not going to be much activity um, and stuff like that.
0: Do they, do they
1: crack, do they crack those acorns or do they swallow them whole and then pound them up in their, uh, gizzard?
2: Um, they usually, uh, swallow them whole and, and, and they crush them up in their crop. Um, and, but a lot of these acorns that are sitting over water, um, they'll fall in water and they'll get, uh, they'll get soft. So it's another, another way they kind of do it too. They'll, they'll uh they'll they'll forage on these acorns that are wet and uh and easier to to grind up
1: sure yeah no i've and even going back to the secluded ponds i've walked up on some uh you know out in the middle of the ozark hills i've walked up in some ponds and i see nothing on the ponds but then a wood duck will flush like a hundred yards on land and he's just foraging his way just moseying through the woods eating (laughs) acorns it's pretty cool to just come across one in the middle of some dry land
2: yeah it's kind of crazy they'll they'll just uh they'll fly into woods they like perching on trees and 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 falling branches over water but yeah they'll they'll fly in land on a tree see a bunch of acorns on the ground and just hop down there and start foraging it's kind of it's kind of awesome these these ducks are, are really cool
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely the pretty. Well, I would argue one of the prettiest ducks. I mean, I mean, there's uh, you know some other ones like uh, what's the one like Muscovy ducks. Those are kind of cool looking, but those are. Those are like Asian, I think, or more of like a so
1: you're you talking Mandarin ducks. They're
0: Mandarin yeah. Uh, Mandarin sure. ducks, thank you. Yeah,
1: Muscovy, yep. yeah. Muscovy so. ducks are those gross oh, yeah. with all the warts yeah. on their face. Yeah, they've got a, yeah. Got a
0: scrotum on their face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was getting mixed up with. Yes, okay. Well,
1: Mandarins are in the same family as wood ducks too, though, are they not?
2: Yeah, they are. They're actually they're cousins. Um and the weird thing is, um, there's been there's been like like aviaries that try to interbreed them or hybridize them, and uh, it doesn't really work. Um, really, it's, it's pretty weird. So you can't you you probably won't rarely ever see a mandarin times wood duck hybrid.
1: Sure. Well, and, actually, and if you're shooting a mandarin, it's because somebody's pet got loose. <laughs> exactly.
2: exactly. Which,
0: actually, that's a good question. How many times do you see, and Zach, this question goes for you as well, um, do you ever see, and I guess I've never thought about this, because in Wisconsin, I mean, I know people around here that have, uh, you know, pet ducks. Uh, how often do you see, or what do you think, like, the mortality looks like for domestic ducks? Do you see, do you, have you guys ever run into them in any of your research?
2: i mean they're all they're always all over the place you get you get you get parked ducks kind of going to the mead wildlife area not knowing really what it's doing there um but i mean it's i mean i'm'm I'm guessing domestic ducks kind of have a have a have a lower survivability <laughs> because they're 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 not as smart as these wild ducks yeah well, I, yeah
0: no, i mean i guess that you know in the amount of duck hunting that i've done which is far less than i know zach has um you know i've never run into like just imagine being out at the meet and you just see like you know the white aflac duck like swim by you <laughs> know what I, mean? I don't know i guess i've never seen that i'd be curious if anyone has ever like run into that or if they would even be intelligent enough to like realize like oh there's other ducks i'll go by them and then just kind of tag along i don't know
1: I mean, I've seen people shoot those bibbed mallards, which are just basically farm ducks. They're like a mallard head, but they're black bodied with a little white bib on their chest. Yeah. And those are yeah, kind of like park like ducks.
2: And, and and then there's, there's like, there's some, there's really cool. It's called, uh, leucistic, which is, which is, uh, like, meaning like an absent of color, um, so there's a lot of uh blonde mallards we'd call them. that don't have much color they're 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 not they're not truly white but they're they're just avoided of 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 like their speculum doesn't have that big blue so are are those uh, are those
0: domestic
2: no they're 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 in the wild strand um
1: i see i've seen one of those in my whole life
2: in there, the wild a loose-
1: uh a blonde mallard yeah
2: yeah and so um we actually when I was working in California um on a uh, a breeding nesting um mallard and gadwall study um we actually had uh I think four or five blonde mallards nesting in our upland fields which is really cool.
0: Yeah they're always wow, yeah. too tricky
2: too tricky to catch but <laughs> yeah that's awesome. When I was
1: uh when I was in North Dakota speaking back on hybrids too we we caught and banded uh, a mallard wood duck hybrid. It was it those are like really cool. Mallard green head, but it had the hood on it, and it had the wood duck beak. But then most of it looked like the mallard in the middle. But then the tail was a wood duck, and it was just crazy looking.
2: They're they're so cool. Uh, yeah, wood duck uh, mallard hybrids are really cool. Um, there's, there's a bunch of really cool hybrids out there that that uh, are pretty cool in nature. Yeah and Yeah, uh,
1: well I was looking at like mature ones and the the Mallard wood ducks, they have a full hood and it's all green. It's like the coolest looking thing in the world.
2: And then they have the they have the bright, bright colored bill of the of the wood duck. Yeah, there it's just it's just super cool.
0: See and maybe and yeah. it's kinda of, Oh yeah, maybe I'm it's just kinda of crazy. Oh, go ahead. I apologize.
2: <laughs> We're both trying to talk. Yeah, yeah I think it's just kinda of crazy that it happens in nature is is these different species are interbreeding with each other and making these amazingly cool ducks well, yeah
0: yeah and I was uh, and maybe I'm just dumb and uh, you know I was a biology guy so I think this is possible but I don't know you guys are the experts on this. Can any ducks hybridize with any other ducks
2: uh, m- mostly yes yep.
0: And, and that yeah, just... I
1: don't think like, uh, I mean, I think divers and puddlers can interbreed, but I don't think you really see it. But I think it is viably possible.
0: Okay. And are those hybridized offspring, are those uh, viable, um, you know, do they produce, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, are they, um, what's the word I'm looking I think they,
2: I, th- I do not think they're, I don't think they're viable. Uh, I don't think they can. I don't think they can uh reproduce pass state, on that sterile. gene. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. What the
1: hell's the word for it. Yeah. <laughs> sterile.
0: Yes, they're sterile. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yes. It, it only is. took three they're, they're three, three people with about six degrees between us. Uh yeah, we figured out the word <laughs> sterile. Congrats, guys. Um but uh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that is uh, that is interesting. Uh the the high and I wonder, yeah, that can't be terribly common, but I think it's just because ducks are like mostly rapists. Is that just how that happens, for lack of a better term? I mean, they're going on just willy oh, yeah. nilly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mallards are pretty rapey ducks, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Mallards
1: are so rapey that the hens are starting to develop these like trap or like fake.
0: Yeah. Fake
1: openings. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And then,
2: well, that, but I've, I've, oh I've seen a, I've seen a hen um, have a, an open wound bleeding on the back of her head because the 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 drakes have been biting her so much
0: yeah well and that's what uh my buddy has uh he's got male or ducks as like pets like just to lay eggs and um and he says that the females like he has to make sure like sometimes they'll try and drown or will like almost drown the the females um But yeah, that is, yeah, I wonder, I'd be curious to see what the the incidence of hybridization is and relative to, you know, geographically how that would work. That would be an interesting study just to see, you know, in these, um, you know, prairie potholes, I would feel like it would be less common. But if you have these areas where, you know, close to different flyways or I don't know uh, if that incidence of hybridization would be would be greater.
2: Yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I think it's, yeah, less than 10%, well, 10. maybe even less than that.
0: Yeah, I was going to say 10% would still be pretty high. All right, so I got some more questions uh, kind of off track from your research. So you obviously, I'm assuming, and I know you and I have had discussions before, but for the listeners, uh, what made you want to get into this? Were you a duck hunter before uh, before getting into graduate school?
2: So it uh it all started in high school man. Um my eighth grade science teacher, he was a fish biologist in Alaska for the longest time and so he came back and married his childhood sweetheart and started to become a a, a high school teacher and so he he wanted to he wanted to to develop um that kind of skill set in a lot of these kids and you know, who who are are looking for guidance and and so I caught on really quick with him and he took me under his wing and we uh we used to go to to the college the college I went to undergrad SUNY Cobleskill we used to go there in high school and we used to uh spawn um trout so brown and and brook trout we used to spawn and um uh, we'd fertilize the eggs with 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 male sperm or sperm semen um mix them up and and bring them back and uh we would we would raise raise the the young so we would um we had our own fish hatchery on on our high school campus that's Um, awesome we we had a one acre one acre pond with it was about 20 feet deep and so um it stayed pretty cold at the bottom so these these trout once once they were fry, we would release them into the pond um we had we had uh, good ma- macro invertebrates, um, so uh, feeding was was good. Um, we also actually got two; they're still alive to this day. They're almost probably twenty years old, but uh, we got two probably one hundred and fifty pound paddlefish in our twenty or one one acre pond. Oh, really? <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so. So we actually helped with the so uh the environmental conservation um type of work in in New York. It's called the Department of Environmental Conservation. And they'd come they'd come uh band wild turkey on our on the backside of our football field. So we, we lived in a rural town. I only graduated with eighty six kids in my graduating class. Um so we would set up rocket nets to catch Wild turkey during the winter, and we'd also catch white-tailed deer with these rocket nets and put uh, VHF transmitters. And you on were doing them. this in high
0: school.
2: We, we were doing this in high school. Damn, and, what and the we hell were, kind of uh, high
0: school did you go to?
2: That was, was, was a pretty amazing <laughs> one. And so, and and so, with all that stuff going on, we'd put VHF transmitters on uh, on these uh, on these um, deer and we'd uh, triangulate them every day, and uh, we would be able to go in, and if we had any mortality signs, we'd go in, and our school owned about uh, probably 15 acres behind behind our campus, and we'd go in and try to look for, for the mortality and see what got it, and and so it, it started young with me, and, and uh, it's just, I knew it's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, and and that's where it started, and then I got to college, um, and with the wildlife field, it's it's very competitive, so you have to start early, you have to make a name for yourself, and so I started as a a sophomore, and my first job was in 2012, and I I volunteered, and I was getting paid $25 a day um, working with uh, Feruginous Hawks out in Wyoming, Um, and we were... We were putting GPS backpacks on males to look at foraging patterns within within energy energy developed areas of, of Wyoming. Um, so we we traveled throughout m- most of Wyoming. Almost three quarters of the state was 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 our study area. Um, we north northeast southeast and southwest. We didn't really get up into the northwest, no Yellowstone or Grand Tetons, um, but
0: it was, it was really
2: cool experience. I worked with the Wyoming fishing game and, 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 uh, Prairie, uh, was it? I forgot, but I worked with the Wyoming fishing game. And then, um, I then volunteered again, my junior year, not on the same project, but, uh, this is probably one of my favorite jobs of all time. I, I worked, uh, with snow geese up in in Nunavut, Canada, above the Arctic circle with environment Canada. And that was a, a volunteer position as well. Um, and, uh, that's, stayed like, the the, summer that's
1: up. like the snow goose hub, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in the queen mod golf bird sanctuary, just, just south of Cambridge Bay. Um, and there was, we, we were, we were in a, we were in a colony of a million birds, Woo! a million snow geese, <laughs>
1: Jeez, a million,
2: a million snow geese, a million Ross geese, it was it was insane, and it was white everywhere with with breeding snow geese, and and that that experience that, that probably changed my life. Um, you had you had wolves when you were working a bird nest. You'd have wolves come fifteen feet away from you just to check you out because they've never seen humans before.
0: Thanks. Grizzly
2: bears up there, muskox. Uh,
0: oh, that's awesome. Wolf,
2: yeah, wolver wolverines that it's just amazing things that you'll you wouldn't hardly see down in the lower 48 and it's really cool
0: yeah that is awesome man yeah. yeah and then so after and then i think oh yeah go on
2: yeah so i think after that that waterfall that snow goose position that kind of opened up the door to to getting into waterfall for me and so after that i spent two summers in um Western Alaska and the Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge working with Pacific black brant um and then what did I and then I did a 2 year stint so it was uh so it was a summer job I went from from Alaska to Minnesota to band wood ducks in Minnesota um I took 2 months off so I took uh the hunting season off went back home hunted um white tail deer ducks um and then uh worked so this was from 2014 to 2016 was was kind of a a revolving circle of jobs of the same jobs so i went from alaska working with black brant to minnesota banding wood ducks to taking a few months off and then going to missouri from from uh, early december to to late march banding wild turkeys and did it all over again um and then after after that, it was 2016. I was applying for jobs and just about leaving the wild turkey position, and uh, I uh, I applied for a crew lead position out in out in California, and ended up getting that position. And it was a crew lead for nine wildlife technicians doing a, a nesting study on, on on mallards and gadwall, and I kind of led a a crew uh a two-person crew um putting suturing vhf transmitters one gram vhf transmitters to the backs of gadwall and oh, duckling
0: suturing them in yeah that's pretty interesting yeah yeah
2: so there was a little bit of uh doctoring behind yeah, that Yeah, using...
0: exactly you're a surgeon now
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so uh this just, just the experience in general um making a name for yourself and the waterfall world is waterfowl world is so so small like if you tarnish your name it'll hurt you in the long run
0: yeah no i could see that and that and so then after that then so that was in 2016 or from that point forward so you're 2016 then what then you came to uwsp in what 2019
2: then yeah so i i worked i worked with usgs for uh, four summers. Um, so 2016 through 2019. And then we, me and my girlfriend packed up and moved out here and, in uh, October of 2019. I, fir- I started my first semester in January.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's wild, man. Um, you know, we've talked about it on the show with, uh, you know, with other people, you know, a lot of different young professionals in the wildlife field. And, you know, one thing that I noticed in your story is, you know, uh, definitely proof of that. Is it just crazy when you're in the net, na- especially in wildlife, but uh, the natural resources field in general, I feel like if you want to, if you want to get a job, you better be willing to move and move a lot because it's seasonal jobs, it's volunteer jobs before you can find that one that'll actually, you know, get you a full-time gig. And I know Zach's moved all over. You've moved all over. Um Yeah. I kind of sold out and uh, said, I don't feel like moving and just took jobs that I could get that were close by, but Yeah
2: and and i i don't really consider that being you you selling out i just think it's it, it's i guess what i'm thinking is it's like that's what you wanted to do it's with with these kind of jobs and this kind of profession i mean you have to be you have to be flexible you have to be willing to move you have to you have to follow the jobs Um, and that's what I would give, uh, that would be my advice is it's just be flexible. You're young travel, do things. Don't, don't, don't sit around is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, yeah. And like I said, I mean, like, yeah, Zach, Zach, you know, kind of did the same thing. He's been from here to kingdom come. I know you've been all over. Yeah. That's, You know, the students. Not uh, quite
1: as much, though. I I can't. I'm too afraid to leave the Midwest.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're 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 flatland folk. Uh, uh, Yeah. And I I was going to ask you, too. And with all your traveling. So did you hunt everywhere that you that you lived? Was that kind of part of it or were you able to find time to hunt? It sounds like you were probably pretty busy.
2: Um, yeah, it, it was there. There were times, um, mostly in Minnesota, during the end of, end of banding, I'd I'd meet up with uh, a few friends that I met along the way along this this uh, what I call it the tech trail, yeah. uh, the wildlife tech trail. And so I've met I've met a, quite a lot of folks that I've had long lasting friendships with, and and we've always met up and did, did some hunting, a few, few, few days of hunting and and stuff like that. So that opportunity is definitely there. And, and, and I, uh, I definitely did it. And it was, it was really cool. I hunted, hunted waterfowl in Minnesota. I have a few friends up in Alaska that I usually go up there and you can usually draw a, a moose tag and 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 caribou and stuff like that. So there, there's opportunities all over the place that that I've established because making these these friendships with with it, with yeah. Did
1: you ever uh, did you ever go pronghorn hunting in Wyoming?
2: I didn't. No, I was I I was there. I didn't even have a car. So how I got out there is my my buddy from undergrad he also got a position in Cody, Wyoming. And so I, I drove out there with him. So I didn't have much, (laughs) much, much transportation when I was out there. Um, So I drove out with him and then flew back home, flew back home um, right after the field season was over. So I didn't, I didn't do much hunting in Wyoming, but um, that's a place where I've, I've started to put in uh, preference points and, and stuff like that to, to draw some some hunts in the future
1: oh yeah get your preference points are open right now too anyone listening yeah. get your points
2: yeah I'm, um in wyoming Wyoming's really cool because you can just you can just buy a preference point you don't even have to try to apply for 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 a tag um so you can yeah, you can the preference buy Preference point a, season
1: uh, is right now it's from like whenever the last week of july through november 2nd right now you can buy your preference point only
2: so go do that yeah. listeners yes yes yeah. uh,
1: and then uh another thing i had too was is is it still true or was it ever true wasn't california shooting the most mallards in the country not too long ago
2: um i'm not quite sure if that's true but a lot of the birds that come from california are shot in california um there's a lot of mallards um i'll tell you that um
1: and pintas but, too um, right uh,
2: Pintails, yes. There's a lot of pintails, too. Um, But pintails, uh, the waterfall management plan, um, the pintail population is still lower than what they want. So that's why they have been regulating um, these stricter bag limits on pintail um, because because of of, uh, North American Waterfall Management Plan. Um,
1: Because it's seven a day over there, isn't it, too?
2: Yep, yep. So, it's seven It's seven birds over there instead of six. Um, you can shoot all green heads if you want. Um, if you're that good, you can shoot all, all, all seven green heads. Yeah. I think it's limited to two hens still, two mallard hens. Um, after November 3rd, I do believe you can start shooting bluebills or lesser scop. Um, I think over there is still two canvas backs. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity. You got your, you got all three species of teal. You got your cinnamon teal, green wing and blue wing teal over there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty amazing state to, to hunt waterfowl.
1: Yeah, that's what I, that's what I keep hearing. I might have to make, Austin, we might have to go Knock a knock a cinnamon teal off our list over there someday.
0: Yeah, I I mean I I got some. Uh, well, actually, both of us actually have some friends out there in so in uh, in Southern California, so that might be the move. Yeah. Um.
2: Well, right now that that whole state's on fire, so it's not it's not looking good.
0: Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of issues going is on there. there. Yeah. go oh, California's <laughs> having issues. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So everyone's a uh, uh, jaw dropping moment um yeah was there uh Andrew was there anything else or, or well Zach did you have any uh you know we're closing in on an hour here Zach did you have any uh you know questions that we didn't hit
1: I guess uh one I had was um I I've heard before that wood ducks as a whole are doing okay um I've heard things like if the bag limit was more then people would start to worry Um, some states I've I know have even thought about dropping the bag limit from three Um, I know season dates have a lot to do with it like Iowa shoots like twice as many wood ducks as say Missouri Um, but I guess my question is like how are wood ducks doing in general and would different seasons have different different season dates have different outcomes for their overall population do you think
2: so this is this is some some stuff we're gonna look at, in in, in my project is that ki- that kind of stuff right there. So we're gonna look at season dates, season start dates and end dates to see if there's any uh, if there's any uh, difference in harvest and survival. See if like uh, early early teal season has an effect. So maybe we we are hypothesizing that maybe early teal season has a has an effect on on harvest where. Um, a lot of these wood ducks may be starting to, to learn that, um, shots or, or public land, um, what's the word I'm like kind of looking for. So it's like, um, yeah, early, so looking at early teal season and, um, so guys are starting to shoot, um teal two weeks before the hunting season is really open the regular season so with all the shooting going on it could educate wood ducks and honestly it could it could push them to start migration earlier um so so harvest could could go down because um, these birds are getting educated so I'm, that's something I'm going to look into
0: or even misidentified I'm I could imagine there's got to be a substantial number of hunters that are misidentifying teal in the early season and not saying nothing about it
2: exactly so there that, that's another thing is um, guys who who are new to hunting and are trying to hunt early teal and don't know really what birds are looking like that early in the morning. Like you can, if you're a hunter and you, you've hunted for a while, you can definitely tell the difference between a teal flying and a wood duck flying. And 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 a lot of the times, if if these birds are banded and these wood ducks are banded and shot, you're never going to get that reported because it's illegal to shoot those birds in in, in the early teal season. So yeah, well, I keep, I've even I could heard have stories
1: been... too about like wardens watching hunters shoot a wood duck but they can't prosecute because they can't tell who shot the wood duck and they're not going to say it but then there's states like i think it's tennessee you can legally shoot a wood duck during early teal i think you get like one wood duck a day or something like that during early teal season
2: and i think i think uh i'm not quite sure but i think there was so i know i know minnesota does not have an early teal season Minnesota does not have an early teal season. Uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota do, so that's another thing I'm going to look at, is to see uh, the difference between, uh, see where the impact is on, on on survival and harvest of Michigan and Wisconsin comparatively to, to Minnesota, because they don't have an early teal season.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um. <laughs> yeah other than there, was a that, little bit,
2: Zach, there was a little bit more to that question um can you can you can you repeat the question again
1: um just uh, uh is there like uh since we've hit that duck boom a couple of years ago now and it's kind of leveling out do you got do you yeah. have any estimates of like how wood ducks are actually doing right now like is it yeah, all right okay. or?
2: so in co- continentally they're doing good yeah um the Lower forty-eight states, um, yeah, the contiguous lower, lower lower forty-eight are are doing amazing. Um, duck, wood duck numbers are, are pretty high. I think Wisconsin kind of has a rate right of around a four hundred thousand breeding breeding population um, that fluctuates, um, but there could there could be some detrimental impacts on on raising or lower or raising or lowering the bag limits. Um, I know, I know this year, I think Wisconsin just raised their wood duck bag limit to three, which it was two for the last, I don't know, decade or so.
0: As long as I've been hunting and spent two.
2: Yeah. And so I think this year they, they they raised it to three, but we'll look at it. We'll look at this data and, and see if there's, uh, some impacts and maybe have some management implications, um, within the area.
1: Sure. And then, uh, one other one I had was like, say our, our wood ducks that are nesting in like the cypress swamps in Louisiana, do they, do they migrate South or are they kind of more, uh, local birds?
2: They kind of, they kind of are more local birds. They kind of stay, stay there throughout the whole year, um,
1: they don't it's need warm. to go
2: south. Yeah, they don't need to go anywhere. Um, a lot of the birds that are in the Upper Mississippi, where we're at, they'll they'll migrate down to 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 warmer climates, Arkansas, Louisiana, know, states like that, Missouri. South South Southern Missouri is a big place. A lot of these birds in Wisconsin and Minnesota go.
1: Yeah, I just didn't know if it was like everybody shifts or everybody just kind of gathers up down there cuz that's kind of I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe the those Louisiana birds might be susceptible to their cold fronts and want to feel like they need to move, but no it makes sense yeah. that they don't got to go anywhere then.
2: Yeah, and a lot of bird, wood ducks in California kind of I mean, it is warm there, but they, they, there's there's some po- breeding populations down in Mexico too as well.
1: Sure. No, I don't. That's that's all I had. I love wood ducks. They're the they're prettiest ducks. They're the the tastiest ducks by far. And it sounds like they're doing all right. And I'll do whatever I can. We put up uh, nesting boxes every couple of years, and we uh, we actually maintain them. That's another big thing about it. Make sure if you put one up, to maintenance it every year or so. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And and don't, and don't put them in areas where you can never get to or never check. Um, I know. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to do, but um, yeah, put them in areas where they're high, high visibility. Um, there's, there's, there's a huge study going on um, actually throughout the, the, uh, the like half of the United States. So like Florida, Louisiana, like North Carolina South Carolina um, they're doing a huge huge nest box study and they're going and they're looking to see if if uh, these nest boxes have a big impact on on recruitment or, or adding adding birds to the population because yeah. a lot of these a lot of a lot of these nest box programs you you're getting you're getting local populations and that might not that might not be adding, adding to the, the, the entirety of the population. Um, yeah. So you'll get a bunch of these satellite satellite populations because they're used to, they're used to these nest boxes. So, um, that could, that could influence, um, population growth as well. And that's what they're trying to look at.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, I guess, I guess I thought of one more, um, did I catch you're from the East coast?
2: I am. I'm from New York. Yep.
1: New York. Um, and I know Steve Ranella mentioned it on the meat eater podcast, but is there a actual problem with these farm raised, uh, wood ducks or farm raised mallards that come out of these duck clubs, interbreeding with wild mallards? Have you heard any of those studies Uh, or anything like that? oh,
2: Oh, yeah. So we're actually, we're actually collaborating with a, with a, with a, uh, professor out of uh suny esf like environmental science and forestry um and he's he's looking at a lot of these eastern mallards and a lot of these eastern mallards don't don't have wild genetics they're 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 game farm genetics and it's it's kind of crazy and and uh so we're taking blood at the me we're taking blood samples and, and feathers and they're looking at isotope work. Um, oh, really? On, on the feathers, and they're looking at the genetics for the blood, and 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 hopefully it's it's just happening on the east coast. But this is this is eye opening, where a lot of these game farms are still releasing ten thousand birds a year.
0: Jesus.
1: And do you think that has a direct correlation with the uh, east coast's uh, mallard uh, problem they got right now?
2: And there, and I I can't definitively answer that, but um, that's what some of this this stuff is looking at right now, and it seems like it has it has some sort of impact on wild genetics.
1: Sure. Oh man, I'm sure I could talk with you for another <laughs> hour, but I think that's I mean, about, I... that's about it.
2: Well, and uh... Uh, well. Well, if Austin can give me your number, we can always talk whenever you want. Yeah, well, uh, oh, give yeah.
0: Me... yeah, and Zach will be moving up here soon, so uh, he'll he'll be back in the old stomping grounds over here. We'll get him out for a drink or two at some point. Um, exactly, I
2: can I can get you out to meet, and we can band some wood ducks together.
1: Yeah, oh God, sure. I'd love it. What do you use five A's for wood ducks?
2: Yeah, we we use five A's. I think uh, Kelly used uh, Kelly Rush used sixes. You can use sixes or five A's.
1: Yeah, I know if they were they were pretty uh, fresh, we couldn't fit a six on them. But I don't know yeah.
0: Ex- exactly. Yeah, shop um, talk because uh, everyone's gonna know what you're talking about, guys. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh Yeah.
2: Well, 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 guys, thanks for having me. It's, yeah was there was there anything
0: a, you uh, wanted to add, Andrew, before we close out here?
2: Oh, I think that's about it. Yeah, I mean, if if anyone, if any of your listeners ever have a question, they can shoot me an email. and I can try to answer it to the best of my ability. And and yeah, it was it was fun talking to you guys. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was we'll, fun talking to. You.
0: Yeah, we'll have to have you back on here. Uh, we'll we'll definitely uh, uh, we'll have you back on on some of the waterfall stuff because uh, each year uh, we try and do an analysis of the the waterfall survey and just go through it and nitpick everything on it. So it'd be fun to have an extra, an extra set of eyes on that when that comes out.
2: Absolutely, man. I'd love to do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, we can't thank you enough for having you on and uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to have you on again and I'm sure you and I will get out uh duck hunting this season. So, uh, you know, we'll definitely post some pictures about that.
2: Absolutely, man. Have you guys have a good night and, uh, I look forward to to talking to you guys again. All right. We'll see you, man. Have a good night. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. You guys have a good one. Yeah,
0: bye. 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 That was pretty good. Yeah, uh, we
1: didn't do we didn't do hot beer, cold beer with him. Oh
0: yeah, shit. Uh, well, whatever. Um... All right, that
1: was the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I tried oh, to sneak is... it in the best <laughs> I could. That
0: is <laughs> I'm not out of bed out okay
1: i tried to sneak it in right before we started
0: uh so that was a great interview with andrew uh we learned a lot about ducks uh you know insight into uh the wildlife field as well um yeah so we'll we'll close out here as we always do or uh, part of our closing Uh, we'll do some hot gear cold beer zach what do you got for us
1: well i was up in wisconsin last weekend so it's just real nice to get uh you know, drive a couple of spotted cows. Uh, you know, there's a new brewery around every corner, so we tried out some good uh, good stouts and stuff. Uh, there's a really good brewery in Sun Prairie, um, Full Mile, I think it's called. Got to have some, uh, you know, coffee stouts. I like all that dark stuff. So mm-hmm. it was just fun to be around that atmosphere again because I'm kind of just sick of just drinking by myself here. So
0: sick of uh, having to drink moonshine from hill people in Missouri. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then...
1: Starting to grow a forehead or starting to grow a forearm out of my head. So. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it must have been nice to get back and get some get back with the beer people of the flatlands.
1: It's just an atmosphere, you know, going yeah. into a microbrewery or something. It's just it's just where I want to be at.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. But uh-huh.
1: uh then for gear, I actually I went to Dunham's down here and down here. i found yeah man i i'm a big fan <laughs> of them but found a pair of baits boots um okay. yeah, i think like they're more boots? of a military tactical yeah. boots yeah. yeah
0: yeah for sure um well, but they're on a
1: really good sale i think i got them for like 80 bucks and I, they've been awesome so far
0: well didn't you get the uh the under armor boots are you still do you still have those
1: I just got those, but those are 800s. I wanted a light pair for hiking and early season stuff okay. and just everyday stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, They hopefully they hold up. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about baits.
1: Yeah, so. we'll see. I mean, they're, they're my expectations are a year, so I don't think I'm asking for too much because yeah. that's about as much as I get out of a pair of boots anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, did, anything else you want to add?
1: uh no that's about it
0: all right well i got uh this week i had some uh gentleman jack for the first time that is the classy version mm. of jack daniels and uh yeah i got a bottle for my birthday a couple months back and um yeah it's good i mean i honestly think it's kind of overrated if i'm being totally honest with you um i think it's good but it's not worth the price difference good that's what i'll say um so yeah i mean it's good i enjoyed it and i'm a i'm a huge jack daniels guy so you know i'm going to support that um and then for gear i'm going to go with the extreme max adjustable heavy-duty transom saver yes I, i copy and paste it from amazon from my orders um i've had it on there for about two months now a month um is a transom saver it was a cheap one it's adjustable transom saver i didn't have one for my boat um super easy. All you got to do is punch a hole in your trailer. You put a bolt in it mounts like to the trailer. So you don't have to deal with like rubber bands or like, you know, any sort of weird stuff on the trailer. It's just this weird little thing. It looks like a cinnamon twist from Taco Bell. You like shove it in there mm-hmm. and twist it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh you twist the thing mounts right up to your boat, drop it down. Easy peasy. The thing's super heavy duty it's been great for me. I was having a lot of issues. Like I was trying every method known under the sun to like keep my motor from bouncing around, like put it down, strap it, do this, do that bungee cord. And finally I was like, I'm just getting a transom saver and I got it and it works great. And I would highly recommend anyone who has a boat to get that transom saver. It's like 40 bucks. It's really good. High quality. Amazon's got it. So easy peasy
1: that's good for and that's for everybody that's not like me that just notches uh one by four and then just ties a piece of rope around the motor <laughs> and that's my transom safety
0: praise and, and uh that uh rope and a prayer <laughs> yeah. that's all that works
1: good luck uh, everyone else
0: <laughs> don't, don't follow me yeah that's a good way to stop tailgaters <laughs> for sure but uh yeah. yeah so that's all i got and then uh Hopefully I'll have some gear to talk about, which that's after we close out here after the episode. I want to talk to you about that uh that item I'm buying tomorrow. Um but yeah, that's all I got. So we'll go right into Zach's cooking corner and then we'll close it out. So yeah. All right. So Zach, let's uh let's close out here with your cooking corner. You got anything that you tossed on the old uh on the old oven or in the slow cooker? What do you got for us?
1: Uh, these last couple weeks we've been kind of saving up some of the venison we've had in the freezer cause we're running low and I hate to see it gone, but, um, we just pulled out some burgers, made like a little burger bar with a bunch of, bunch of toppings. Um, and shout out to Aldi. I got this habanero cheese. And I put that on top of some venison burger with, which I cut with uh ground Italian sausage instead of, uh, beef and it just really brought the whole burger together but um we use that stuff for everything i'll definitely be cutting a lot more venison with like that ground italian sausage later on
0: i was gonna ask is like you know do you do you typically do that and obviously not you're just uh you know that's kind of a new thing for you
1: yeah usually i take like uh, my mix this year is like 10 percent beef to 90 percent venison but that's just because i just whatever i scrap out of a deer i just grab a pound from the store and mix it in with it just to add the fat but i might mix around some pork and some beef tallow later on next year too oh,
0: nice yeah that'll be that'll be excellent um
1: yeah and then sky's the limit on the 1972
0: oster oh grinder. hell yeah Yo, that thing's that thing's that <laughs> that grinder could talk oh man
1: I gotta I gotta shovel coals <laughs> into it to get it to run. But it'll oh, run
0: electric. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh man. I thought it was a hand crank. I thought you were going old school.
1: Nope. Serial number might be <laughs>
0: one on <laughs> it. First first electric grinder ever. Um Yeah. Yeah, for me, I don't know that I what did we make? Uh nothing really wild game that I made aside from that salmon, which I mean that's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, that's just brown sugar uh, a brown sugar and water, one cup per gallon of brown sugar. And then, uh, I just soaked them. I made like two steaks. So it wasn't much. I just put like in a little bowl and just guesstimated the amount of sugar. Um, and then, yeah, I just smoked them at two twenty for like two hours, three hours, something like that. I mean, I just looked at them and was like, "Eh, okay, they look good. Um, yeah, so it was pretty good, but yeah, for me cooking, I haven't done any wild game really. I guess, um, no, yeah, nothing. Uh my girlfriend got the uh the HelloFresh stuff, so we've been doing that. The HelloFreshes, which those are fire. Oh. Those are fire. I'm not gonna lie to you. They're pretty dang good. Yeah, really.
1: I've always been curious about that. Yeah, they're those. pretty
0: dang good. They come with the stuff. I mean you still gotta cook it, um, which is kind of a scam. Um, but uh yeah, the only thing my only which they were decent, but they we made flatbread pizza. Bro, it was not pizza. They scammed us.
1: No, it's a, flat it a
0: flatbread. It was not pizza. The fact that they had the audacity, the nerve, you might say, to call flatbread pizza, I was aghast when uh, when we finished it all up. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't bad, actually, but yeah, it was not pizza.
1: <laughs> it's one or the other. It can't yeah, be both.
0: flatbread or pizza. Yeah, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig. And that's... Uh, that's how I felt about that flatbread. They tried to, they tried to make up. They put a bunch of makeup on a flatbread and called it pizza. No, ain't gonna fool me. I I know a pizza when I see one, and I know a flatbread when I see one, and that that ain't it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, did you have anything you wanted to add uh, as we close out the episode here?
1: Um, not that I could think of, man. Just uh. Just counting on the days till fall. This is the most unprepared I've been going into a fall, but, uh, you know, I just kind of – I'm just going to kind of roll with the punches on this year and just uh, excited for it to start getting nicer out and start hunting. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, same for me. I mean, it's just going to be getting stuff ready, Uh, you know. I think it's – and especially for me because the school year is going to be starting, so I got graduate classes again starting this semester. That's going to be a nightmare. Um, But – Yeah. I mean, just get out there. Um, I would say once again, as we close out this, as we close out this episode, just wanted to give another reminder, you know, check out the, uh, the pebble mine project, you know, come up with your thoughts on that. Maybe we can, maybe next week, that's what we do. Maybe we'll, we'll break down that, that uh, you know, what's going on with that a little bit more in depth. Um, But yeah, that's all I got as always. Thank you for listening. I wanted to thank Andrew for his interview Um, and then, uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. We're at between two pines pod on Instagram. We are on every major provider of podcasts. And if you are a professional working in the natural resources field, please give us a call, DM us, whatever you got to do. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get you on here. We'll interview you. So thanks again.